Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, everybody. Conservative Member of Parliament Michael Cooper of Edmonton, who sits on the Parliamentary Justice Committee and participated in the three-hour testimony by Jody Wilson-Raybould last Wednesday, spoke to me about that and what they're expecting from Gerald Butts and others coming up this week. I also spoke with David Butt. He's a Toronto criminal lawyer, former prosecutor, op-ed writer for the Globe and Mail. And uh, Mr. Butt talked to us about what prosecutors look for if there's a case of obstruction of justice staring them in the face. And how many liberal MPs may decide not to run again in October? Four have already decided they won't do it. Two of them are first-term MPs, so they won't qualify for the MP pension. Dan McTague told us this was going to happen, former liberal member of parliament. I spoke with Mr. McTague about what's developed over the last few days. And I also hope you'll listen to our conversation with Toby Boulay. He's the father of Logan Boulay, who played for the Humboldt Broncos, and the Boulay family decided they were going to donate the organs of Logan to Canadians who needed them to improve their health or, in fact, to continue to live. Mr. Boulay explained why the family did what they did and talked about the upcoming Green Shirt Day on April the 7th. That's the first anniversary of the terrible crash between the truck and the Humboldt Broncos bus. That and more... Have a listen to our podcast. It's coming right up. Michael Cooper is a conservative member of parliament, and he's also a member of the Parliamentary Justice Committee. And he was there last Wednesday for Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony, and he'll be there for Gerald Butt's testimony. Mr. Cooper joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Cooper, thank you very much uh, for the time. Was good afternoon, it, Roy. Good afternoon. Was it tense at the Justice Committee meeting last Wednesday before things got started? I imagine the tension built, but was it tense before it began? I think there was real anticipation about what Jody Wilson-Raybould would say. I you know, certainly had no clue. No one had any clue other than perhaps the Prime Minister and Gerald Butts and some of the actors uh, involved in this scandal uh, and I can say within 90 seconds of her opening statement, it was pretty clear that what she was going to say was explosive and pretty uh, damning on the part, in terms of uh, the picture that she portrayed of prime minister and top officials in the PMO. So you clearly didn't expect the, the level of uh, information and disclosure that you received from the former attorney general. We heard uh, before her testimony allegations of interference, but what was truly alarming and extremely disturbing was the sophistication, the level of a coordinated campaign directed by the Prime Minister through uh, his top officials, his chief of staff, his principal secretary, his top Quebec advisor, and clerk of the Privy Council, uh, to interfere in the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. Uh, the testimony of Jody Wilson-Raybould, which I believe uh, demonstrates that the Prime Minister and his top officials acted completely inappropriately and may have crossed the line into engaging in criminality. Uh, just carry on on that line of thought, please. When you say may have crossed the line into criminality, uh, where is this this particular thinking headed? Jody Wilson-Raybould made a decision not to intervene. She communicated that decision to the Prime Minister on September 17th, uh, based upon her review of the law and the facts in the case. The Prime Minister refused to accept that answer. What followed was a concerted campaign to alter the course of justice. That is obstruction of justice. Section 139 of the Criminal Code 
prohibits any attempt to alter the course of justice based on her testimony. It appears that is what the prime minister sought to do. And then when she wouldn't cave, he fired her as the attorney general. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Stephen Taylor, the blogger, found uh, a letter, and he's put in on his Twitter account, a letter signed by five attorneys general, federal and provincial, calling on the RCMP to engage in an investigation of this particular situation and to to, to uh, investigate uh, the uh, obstruct justice argument. Yes, and uh, five attorneys generals from uh, right across the political spectrum, uh, Andrew Scheer, uh, the leader of the opposition has also uh, written to the RCMP commissioner. Uh, there certainly is sufficient evidence. I mean, but, uh, and I think at the very least uh, there needs to be an investigation. And, uh, and if anyone did break the law, uh, then they need to be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. What did you think of the questioning of Jody Wilson-Raybould by her colleagues, because she's running as a liberal again, we have that information, according to a news story that we received. She uh, She's communicated that to the CBC. So uh, there, they'll be her colleagues again. It got pretty, they, they got pretty rough on her. Well, they, they seem to try to blame her for the prime minister's conduct and the conduct of his top officials. Um, and they, they don't really seem to be that interested in learning about the truth. I mean, for example, Jody Wilson-Raybould has said on more than one occasion, and she said it at the committee, that there were certain communications that are irrelevant to getting to the truth of the matter, but she can't speak about because she's being silenced by the Prime Minister because he refuses to waive solicitor-client privilege and cabinet confidentiality during the time that she was Veterans Affairs Minister immediately after he fired her as the Attorney General. Uh, they're not, they don't seem to be that interested in that. They, they weren't very interested in uh, hearing from Jody Wilson-Raybould in the first place until they realized they really had no choice. You know what I find interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that the Prime Minister really silenced her. There's a line of thinking, and I've seen it in emails, and I've heard people say this. Look, everybody's jumping on board with Jody Wilson-Raybould and condemning Justin Trudeau and condemning the process and condemning uh, the, the government's interference in, in the uh, in, in the SNC-Lavalin decision but uh, the, so the argument goes, you're doing that without having heard from the other side, without having heard from Butts, Trudeau, or any of them. And what I would say is, we had week, day after day after day, we had the other side, uh, represented by the prime minister, making its case, and at the same time, shutting down Jody Wilson-Raybould. Well, that's right. And I mean, the prime minister's story has changed uh, day to day. I mean, at first he uh, denied it. Uh, then uh, he uh, he said, "Well, the fact that Jody Wilson-Raybould is in cabinet speaks for itself." Uh, and then uh, now he's off on uh, another line, jobs. Uh, so I'll obstruct justice in the name of jobs. Well, that's not what you get to do in a country based upon the rule of law. So. Quite frankly, I don't have any confidence in anything that the Prime Minister has to say about this. I certainly do want him to appear before the committee uh, under oath to answer questions. Uh, I would also like to see Gerald Butts appear, which he will this Wednesday, but again under oath. And Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council, he's coming back. Uh, if Jody Wilson's, uh, Wilson-Raybould's testimony uh, is true, uh, which, I, again, I believe it is, uh, she totally demolished the testimony of Wernick. In other words, Wernick is a liar, and he needs to be put under oath. Gerald Butts needs to be put under oath, and the Prime Minister needs to be put under oath, so that if they don't tell the truth about what happened, they could face perjury charges. Can you stay with us a few minutes longer? I can, Roy. Okay, let me take a break. Jody Wilson-Raybould, in this current Liberal government of Justin Trudeau, stating she resigned from cabinet because she did not have confidence to sit in that cabinet. Non-confidence is a huge parliamentary issue. Governments have fallen on non-confidence votes. So when you use the terminology, I did not have confidence, to me, that paints a much, much broader picture. There's a much larger canvas at play here. I'm speaking with Michael Cooper. He's a conservative member of parliament who's on the Parliamentary Justice Committee. That really is quite a statement, isn't it, Mr. Cooper? 
uh, it is. Uh, it's quite a statement, but in light of her testimony, it's pretty understandable. Uh, liberal MPs on the committee uh, have tried to say, well, this is all just about uh, her exercising the public interest in terms of her prosecutorial discretion. And yet the things that they were talking to Jody Wilson-Raybould about were things like the Prime Minister is a Quebec MP. We're worried about the Quebec election. If, uh, if uh, SNC-Lavalin goes... Uh, we, we don't need that six months before an election. Uh, all things that are just totally and completely inappropriate. Gerald Butts, uh, the Prime Minister's top advisor, said, uh, you know, go ahead. There, there needs to be some level of interference. Katie Telford said, forget about legalities. So uh, this is very, very serious stuff. And quite frankly, uh, I, I believe the Prime Minister has lost the moral authority to govern. He uh, has repeatedly lied about his role, his involvement. Uh, He has broken the public trust. He acted completely inappropriately and maybe illegally. That's why we need an RCMP investigation. But as a starting point, he needs to go. Now, who do you want to see before the Justice Committee? We know Gerald Butts is going to appear. Michael Wernick is going to come back, the clerk of the Privy Council. It'll be interesting to see if he comes up with that vomitron or whatever it was he called it and whether he'll continue with his silly... uh, commentaries or the things he had to say about assassination and people getting shot in an election campaign. Uh, who, who else do you want to see in front of the Justice Committee? Who should be there? We should also hear from Jessica Prince, who was the chief of staff to Jody Wilson-Raybould. It was her who had uh, a number of uh, conversations with uh, Gerald Butts, Katie Telford, Matthew Bouchard, the Prime Minister's top uh, Quebec advisor. She's key. Uh, and we also need to hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, to hear her complete testimony because she uh, wants to speak of certain things that she's being silenced uh, about. Uh, hopefully the Prime Minister will do the right thing, lift the solicitor-client privilege and cabinet confidentiality so that, that she can speak fully to all matters. I, I don't want to, uh, I, I know you won't let me just uh, steal your strategy, but what is a question that you want answered by both Gerald Butts and Michael Wernick. Is there a question for Gerald Butts and a question for Michael Wernick that they have to be willing to deal with? Well, I think that Mr. Wernick has a lot of explaining to do. Uh, he came before our committee and uh, gave a pretty uh, different version of events, uh, one that was a lot more vague. Jody Wilson-Raybould filled in the blanks. Uh, I also found it quite interesting that Mr. Wernick seemed to be uh, really uh, in the loop at all times with SNC-Lavalin. And as far as uh, Gerald Butts goes, again, uh, we need to find out about what that conversation he had with Jody Wilson-Raybould, his version, uh, at the Shadow Laurier Hotel. Is there any sense that there's uh, any kind of connection between the Liberal Party of Canada and SNC? Well, we know there uh, is a strong connection. The SNC-Lavalin donated uh, illegally more than $100,000 to the Liberal Party. They were meeting uh, hundreds of times with uh, Liberal uh, officials on, among other things, deferred prosecution uh, agreement. And uh, the evidence, uh, the very damning evidence, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould demonstrates that this is... uh, really a Liberal Party scandal involving all of the top players. Well, they also uh, contributed illegally to the Conservative Party. Not as much, but they did. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. But it was a small small amount in comparison. Now, I'm not legitimizing it, but uh, the, the fact is is that the connections between SNC-Lavalin and the Liberal Party are well-documented, and they run very deep. This is what I was trying to get at, and it's not just what was said by Jody Wilson-Raybould about interference with her uh, over SNC, but is there any any evidence, anything to suggest that there are familial ties, if you will, between the SNC and the federal Liberals? Uh, There there may be, but uh, I'm not fully aware. Um. You talked about Gerald Butts testifying under oath. Does the committee have any uh, any leverage as far as that's concerned? It's a vote of uh, the committee, and uh, five at, to at four. Time, five to four. That's right. The Liberals control the majority. 
And the and same with the same with Wernick. Same with Wernick. And I think if the Liberal MPs uh, vote that down, then I think that speaks for itself. It demonstrates that uh, the reliability of uh, their testimony may just not be there, because if they really are coming and they're not concerned about uh, facing perjury, then, then why wouldn't they simply take it off? What? Uh, how long is this going to carry on before the Justice Committee? Um, what, what do you have any kind of schedule uh, sort of in mind about who should appear when and what you're going to be asking for? Even if you voted down five to four, you know you're going to get a lot of coverage over sp- yeah. specific requests and and for information and witnesses. So, how long uh, do you do you foresee this carrying on? Uh, well, it needs to carry on as long as it takes to get to the truth. And uh, now the Liberals may shut it down. Uh, They control uh, the majority. Uh, They have been less than enthusiastic about uh, allowing this to move forward. They have, you know, uh, green-lighted Jody Wilson-Raybould coming to committee. Uh, But, you know, again, they seem to be only acting uh, in a way that they have no choice. Uh, So I'm not confident that uh, they're going to allow this to to go on for long. One more question. But we'll wait and see. Yeah. Canadians are, they want answers. Canadians want answers to this because, you know, the whole country's engaged. And, uh, and, And in fact, people are becoming more engaged with the Admiral Norman story and then the developments in that case. So, um, I did have another question for you and it's, it's, for some reason, it's oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Is Gerald Butts scheduled for any particular length of time? It was unusual for the former attorney general to be almost unheard of to be uh, available for three hours. Do you have any idea, idea how long Butts is going to be testifying for, and will he be available for question and answer? Yeah, he, at this point, he's scheduled for two hours. Uh, I would hope that he would be prepared to be there for as long as members have questions. All right. Mr. Cooper, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks, Roy. All the best. Michael Cooper, Conservative Member of Parliament and Member of the Justice Committee. You'll be seeing him and hearing him on uh, Wednesday when Gerald Butts appears before the committee. David Butt. Uh, Mr. Butt, you've heard him on this program many times. He's a criminal lawyer in Toronto. He's a former prosecutor. He is also an op-ed, an opinion uh, writer for the Globe and Mail. Uh, Mr. Butt has uh, an op-ed piece in the Globe right now. Wilson-Raybould's crown prosecutor roots are a reason she speaks her truth to power. It's, a, it's, it's an excellent read. Dave, thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, let's talk about what's going on. And, and I want to start with a question that Canadians are asking or that, that either demands are being made or questions are being asked. Could what's happened what we know so far, could it conceptually fall into an obstruct justice realm? That's certainly possible, Roy, uh, in the sense that uh, an obstruction of justice is any deliberate intent to try to obstruct or impede the course of justice proceedings. And and obviously the uh, ongoing uh, SNC-Lavalin prosecution is a justice proceeding. So uh, if Ms. Wilson-Raybould's uh, uh, you know, version of events is the correct one. Could that amount to an attempt to impede the uh, the normal movement of that prosecution? Conceptu- conceptually, yes, it could. The bigger question is, uh, of course, whether uh, the instruments of criminal prosecution are appropriate in, in this situation. So uh, that that's really becomes the next big question. Okay, so now you just mentioned the testimony by Jody Wilson-Raybould on Wednesday, which had this country just uh, paying absolute, complete attention. It doesn't happen very often that we're all zeroed in on what one person has to say. And can you just share with us what the fundamentals are in your in your op-ed piece in the Globe and Mail, which I really enjoyed reading today. And again, the headline of it is, Wilson Raybould's Crown Prosecutor Roots are a reason she speaks her truth to power. Yes, uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould was a a professional Crown Prosecutor before she entered politics. And uh, inside that profession, and and I'm happy to say having been a prosecutor for 13 years, that this is a very, very strong tradition in Canada, that prosecutors will make their decisions with complete, uh, almost fanatical independence. 
So in other words, they will look at what the facts are and what the law is, and they will not look to any other outside considerations in deciding whether to bring a prosecution or uh, whether to continue a prosecution. And uh, that uh, is probably one of those cultural ideas that keeps us from becoming a dictatorship. Because as I mentioned in my piece, every dictator, every good dictator, and I use the word good facetiously, uh, uses the instruments of criminal justice, the police, prosecutors, judges, uh, to imprison his or her, or worse, his or her political opponents. So keeping a, a, a zealously independent prosecution service is key. Ms. Wilson-Raybould learned that early in her career, and despite rising to the highest uh, of political offices, seems to have kept that lesson uh, close to her heart because she resisted, uh, based on her events, of course, her version of events, of course, she resisted political pressure on a prosecution, even when it was basically career suicide for her. We can't ask for anybody to be more admirably committed to a really important principle than that. She sacrificed her career for a principle. I call that noble in my piece, and I, and I think that's a, an accurate description. And I would imagine most prosecutors, most lawyers in this country have tremendous respect for what she did. Most people should have, uh, everybody should have respect for the position that she took. And as you said, she really jeopardized her future, certainly her political future, by saying what she said last Wednesday. Now, let's go back to the idea of a prosecutor looking at the prospect of an obstruct justice uh, charge. Now, we also have five former attorneys general federal and provincial, who have written a letter to the RCMP urging exactly that take place. Uh, I don't know how much of an impact that will have on the on our national police force. They won't tell us. But I find that very, very telling when five attorneys general write a letter like that and they all sign it. So now the prosecutor has the information in front of him or her, or the prosecutors. There are two questions they ask themselves, Correct. Yes, yeah, the first question that any uh, good prosecutor will ask in, in initiating or continuing a prosecution is this. Is there a reasonable chance of, of conviction? What that means is, does the evidence stack up? And that's always got to be question number one. If you don't have the evidence, you shouldn't be there in the, in the criminal courts. Uh, it's not that you have to have a, a dead winner every time, but you have to have a pretty good case where there's at least a reasonable likelihood of a, of a conviction. Now, the second question that all prosecutors ask in every case is, is it in the public interest to prosecute the case? And I'll, I'll give you an unrelated example so your listeners can appreciate why that becomes important. Uh, you know, a, a store may catch a 13-year-old kid shoplifting, and there's no doubt that the evidence stacks up. The kid's on video tucking a chocolate bar in uh, you know, his, his or her pocket and walking out of the store without paying. So... You know, is there a reasonable chance of conviction? Absolutely. The next question is, is it in the public interest? And you might say, and many reasonable folks might say, you know, give that kid a talking to, uh, give them a stern warning, and send them home. You really don't need to saddle that kid with a criminal record for a chocolate bar. And so there's where the public interest idea comes in. Obviously, it's very different in these in, in these facts than, the, than a shoplifting a chocolate bar, but you still have to ask... Uh, is a criminal prosecution the way to go here? Uh, or, for example, is the political fallout punishment enough? Can the Justice Committee get to the bottom of it and issue a report and condemn what happened? And would that take care of it well enough? I don't know the answers to these questions, and, and lots of folks will have different opinions on it, but those are the questions that have to be asked. Is it in the public interest to actually engage in a, in a prosecution, even if you do end up having the evidence? So explain to us, please, the National Federal Police Force, the RCMP, would be the ones, if there was an investigation, they would be the ones to undertake it. Yeah. Um, are they the ones in a federal reality who lay a charge, or do they provide their results of their investigation to the prosecutors who then make their decision based at least partially on what you've just told us? Yes, it's and um, to answer your question, Roy, it's a little bit of both. So the RCMP will conduct an investigation and it would be commonplace, and in every routine case, and, and I think you got to do things by the book in a case like this, for them to consult with the Crown Prosecutor 
while they are investigating. So they get legal advice. Does this case stack up? Is there any more evidence we need to uh, pursue? Uh, Ultimately, if they decide that they want to lay a charge, then the Crown Prosecutor would take it over. But once the Crown Prosecutor takes it over and is moving through the courts, the Crown Prosecutor also has discretion to continue or discontinue. So, for example, if new information came to light that cast things in a different way, uh, a prosecutor might discontinue. And a prosecutor is always looking at how well does the evidence stack up and whether it's in the public interest to continue. So both the police and the prosecutor will have a role to play. David, I, let me back up a little bit before I ask you about whether Jody Wilson-Raybould could have initiated her own police investigation and whether she could do, do so now. And, and come back to the issue of what's going on currently uh, and prosecutors. We have criminal law and politics in the same blender here. Um, does that cause any particular difficulties, any problems? Does it change up anything? Yes, it does. Uh, traditionally, the Attorney General, who is the chief government lawyer, uh, is also the Minister of Justice, which is a cabinet position. So uh, that person wears two hats. They, they sit at the cabinet table and they engage in very overtly political decisions, and there's nothing bad about being political. I mean, we want our political leaders to do just that. On the other hand, sometimes you need independent legal advice, and that's where the Attorney General uh, puts on the other hat and gives the independent legal advice. Uh, This firestorm that we're all living through perhaps teaches us a lesson that maybe those two hats should be worn by two different people. So we have an Attorney General who is completely independent, not involved in the uh, political uh, situation of the day at all, and we have a Minister of Justice who pursues justice policy as a um, political actor elected by constituents. If there was some separation there, there might not have been this uh, this problem. It seems to have worked reasonably well up until now, but there's nothing like a crisis to make you rethink how you've been doing things traditionally. Okay, let me put three questions together and try to turn them into one. You have a former Attorney General charging the Prime Minister, essentially, with being a lawbreaker. Now, could she, should she have initiated her, if I'm correct on that point, could she have or should she have initiated her own police investigation while the interference was going on, and does Jody Wilson-Raybould have the option to do so now? Uh, Yes, Uh, she does have that option. I I do want to say she was very careful in, in her words to call it inappropriate as opposed to illegal, so... Um, that's a bit of a fine distinction, but she was very careful to, to leave it at inappropriate. Uh, however, if we assume that the activity could conceptually be criminal, then in effect she is a victim of an attempt to obstruct justice. So she's the one who people try to uh, obstruct. And as a victim, any victim can report to the police and say, Hi, I've been victimized in this way, and the police would receive that information and then act on it as, as they saw fit uh, based on the you know the evidence they have in front of them. So yes, she does have that option to go to the police. Given that she didn't put it any higher than inappropriate, and I'm sure that was a very thoughtful move on her part, I don't think you'll see her at any police station anytime soon. But is that a possibility? Sure, that could be in this fact scenario. Okay, now is there anything in our contemporary Canadian history which might provide us some level of parallel experience, and I'm thinking about the sponsorship scandal. Are we in, in any way headed into, not identical, but into the same kind of compass heading that that scandal headed to? Uh, yes, in, in, in this sense, and there's, I think, two points that are important to make. Uh, one is that, uh, look, partisan politics is an intensely competitive uh, uh, endeavor, and uh, those who seek power have to uh, fight very hard to uh, get there. And in a lot of ways, that's a very good thing. But one thing that comes with intense competition in any realm, whether it's in business or in sports or in politics, when there's intense competition, there's always the temptation to try to bend the rules a little bit to your advantage. And so we routinely, and we've seen ever since the Pacific scandal of the 1880s, as long as you know, Canada has been a, uh, a country, uh, we've seen this kind of temptation in the in the heat of politics to, to bend the rules. And so this is another example 
uh, in a very long history of, of similar examples, the sponsorship scandal being one of them. The other point that I'll say is that uh, as a result of the sponsorship scandal, the Harper government passed legislation creating the independent head of public prosecutions. Again, in a distance, in an attempt to distance the prosecution arm from political interference. And so maybe it's time that we take the next step and have the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice um, roles occupied by different people. Could Jody Wilson-Raybould herself find herself in trouble? I don't see any uh, exposure that she has in terms of being criminally prosecuted. Uh, obviously, she's paid a very heavy political price. On the other hand, you know, there's a lot of conversation across the country about how she's the hero in this piece, and, uh, you know, maybe that might affect uh, her political fortunes going forward. That, that's into the realm of political speculation. Uh, I'm certainly not an expert in that. But uh, uh, she has spoken her truth. She's paid a big price for it, and I don't see any further downside for her. Okay. This has been one, uh, one incredible week, and uh, so many questions are being asked, and a lot of them have to do with what we've just talked about, and you provided the information for us, and specifically about obstruct justice and what the parameters of that uh, reality uh, are. David, thank you so much. Always great talking to you. Appreciate it very much. Always a pleasure, Roy. Anytime. David Butt, criminal lawyer in Toronto. He's argued cases before the Supreme Court of Canada as well, and former prosecutor. Now, I've, uh, I've known my next guest for, oh God, probably 25 years or longer, and uh, I've always had a lot of respect for him. And I still have a great deal of respect for him. That's Dan McTague. He was 18 years. He was a Liberal member of Parliament. Was first elected in 1993. And, uh, and, and Dan was on this program three weeks ago with Michelle Simpson, former Liberal member of Parliament as well, who, as you know, was punished by the Liberal Party because she posted her expenses online. And then leader of the party, Michael Ignatieff, didn't like that and ordered her to stop. And when Michelle said she wouldn't, then uh, the, the whip of the party uh, suspended her right to speak in Canada's parliament. So you're an elected member of the people, and uh, but the party, a party hack uh, tells you you're no longer allowed to speak. And you know the story. She wasn't allowed to even acknowledge a 21-year-old constituent who was a member of the Canada's Armed Forces who was killed in Afghanistan. And she, Michelle wasn't allowed to acknowledge that because they told her she couldn't speak because she wouldn't stop telling her what she was spending her expense money on. Anyway, Mr. McTague, during that segment, said on this program that there would be members of parliament, liberal members of parliament, who would announce shortly that they were not going to run again in October. And uh, to my count, I think it's four now. And if I have this correctly, two of them are first-term MPs, which means if they're not running again, they will not have the opportunity to qualify for the MP pension, you have to run twice or uh, be in office for six years in order to qualify. Dan, thanks for coming back. And before we ask you, I ask you about what's been going on with the or the announcements within the Liberal Party. What's your takeaway from watching Jody Wilson-Raybould? Oh, well, I've never seen anything of uh, that sort in my many years of being on the Hill. Um, you know, I, I was among a very young group of people that uh, stood there when her father made the plea in the. Uh, railway room, uh, rather in the uh, the old railroad uh, uh, building across from Parliament Hill back in 1981, before the proclamation of the Constitution, when Indigenous rights were uh, entrenched in our Constitution. Her father <laughs> referenced the fact that someday one of his daughters could very well be the Prime Minister of this country. Uh, anybody who forgot that may want to be refreshed in that, because that uh, even though that happened 38 years ago, uh, it uh, it's certainly something that he's become. He, he was on he was on the show yesterday, and he reminded people that he'd said that. Well, I was there. I mean, uh, there was Mark McGuigan there, my my minister, Paul Cosgrove. There was a number of, uh, and there was a very pleasant exchange between the two. But it was determined, and uh, I just you know, <laughs> in my 56 years of being on this planet, I went back to when I was 18, uh, 19, working for the first time on the Hill and having a chance to see that. Um, I wasn't actually physically there. I was actually watching it from the uh, 
from the uh, room 363 of the of the Confederation Building, but it was the most amazing uh, uh, exchange, and it turns out to be uh, you know significantly uh, pre- uh, uh, prescient in terms of uh, what could potentially happen here. And I think uh, there's a likelihood that we may be heading down that road very soon. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but as I mentioned three or four weeks ago, several Liberals have left. Uh, there has been a tectonic shift uh, since then, and certainly with her testimony earlier this week uh it's going to take a lot for the liberals to recover from this uh from this particular blast and it's uh, it's certainly a wound that's self-inflicted at the very top now without referencing the four who've announced they're not running again i think it's four um specifically has the the testimony of jody wilson raybould has what's happened to her within the liberal, liberal party has that had an effect on the morale Within the party, I guess I'm asking you to give us your best guess based on your experience. Are there two camps, or maybe three camps, uh, at play within that within that caucus? Well, I think there is very much so. There are those who will say nothing to see here, but of course that uh, was a stance they were taking this time last week before the testimony. There are others who were actually coming out and uh, you know subtly suggesting uh, it's her version of the truth, as we heard from our uh, our, our foreign affairs minister. Um, you know, no matter what deflection you want to involve yourself in what camp or what position you want to be in, I mean, the fact is many of these uh, members of Parliament owe their victory to the Trudeau name, and that Trudeau name has now taken a very significant hit. And so for many of them, it's uh, survival of the fittest. You're on your own. Uh, the raft is taking on water. Uh, it's time to uh, fish or cut bait, sink or swim, call it whatever you want. Um, but there are more Liberal MPs prepared to make their announcement, and they are first-termers. So I, I, I still think there's two more that I'm uh, expecting to hear this month that will uh, pack it up and go. And it may not necessarily be directly connected to this, but to the fact that they think this is a bit of a gong show. And that, uh, you know, you're not talking policy. You're not talking substantial issues in parliamentary procedure and making a difference as a member of parliament. This is really the cult of personality. Canadians have voted for a name and, uh, you know, ideas around uh uh, you know, uh, around uh, uh, virtue signaling. And I think that's that can only take you so far. That virtue signaling, by the way, is, uh, has been badly damaged. The very liberal brand on Indigenous issues, on women's issues, all of these things, the, the treatment of Judy, uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould has been absolutely deplorable, I think, in the minds of most Canadians. But there's a sense among liberals, my colleagues that I speak to, and friends that, oh, no, uh, for most people, they don't really understand this. This is not a big male media issue it won't change their vote i suspect that uh 10 changes will be enough to cause this government to fall come october and uh, that should be enough to uh likely uh you know grease the rails to see mr trudeau move on as uh in, into his uh, new career perhaps in theatrics or whatever the case may be i don't want to be disparaging but i i sense that uh, this is all about the leadership of the liberal party which is very much in play now you know, I, I just want to go back to these uh, MPs who've decided not going to run again, and they've announced it, and the first-termers. Nobody, I would think, runs for office uh, with the intent of just staying for one term. Because no, your, no your expectation is that you're going to be, I would think, is that you're going to be able to contribute and do something positive for your, for your immediate uh, constituents and then for the country. And, and, and maybe nobody – let me just go back to what I said. Nobody – I would think, runs Dan with the expectation of just sticking around for four years. No, because you want you have great things to accomplish. And while none of them who are leaving or will announce they're leaving will actually directly attribute the reason why they're leaving, it's no doubt uh, you know very frustrating to be sitting there saying, what have I given up here? Uh, you know, my member part of I live in Oakville, uh, you know, John Oliver, it's surprising for many that he, he quit. He's a well-established person. You go to our hospital here, his name is there. He's a decent fellow, worked very hard, but I think disappointed uh you know uh, mp selena uh chavez uh has made the same decision i mean she has my in, in the old part of my uh writing from many years ago would be uh, an announcement yesterday that she is leaving as well and although it's for personal reasons you have to really read between the lines uh no member of parliament who has taken the time to you know to distinguish themselves to be chosen to go through this process like, for instance, uh, Selena Cesar Chavez uh, would did. I mean, would actually lead themselves uh, in, into a position where they're leaving after just four years. I mean, most of us want to come back. Now, to be sure, in '93 to '97, I saw a couple of MPs move on, but uh, it was simply because it was something they just weren't interested in. There were no major controversies in 1997, although one could probably make a political argument that there was. 
but nothing of this nature. You have, in effect, a sponsorship scandal that took 11 to 12 to 13 years to develop happening in a matter of days, and it's not blowing away. No, it's not going to go away, and I don't think Mr. Butts is going to make uh, any inroads as far as convincing Canadians. I don't know, but my guess is he's not going to do very well in trying to convince Canadians uh, of the correctitude. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah. Uh, of <laughs> of Justin Trudeau and the uh, and, and that Jody Wilson-Raybould somehow just wasn't up to the task, because I think that's the argument they're going to try to make. Yeah, look, it's very frustrating for people to see your principal secretary, uh, the inner circle, take a, take a hit, uh, have a bomb thrown right in the middle of all of this. The reasons for this isn't about a bad communications program. It really has everything to do with what's at play here. You know, subversion of justice, obstruction of justice, uh, you know, uh, breach of public trust. There's all sorts of allegations and finger pointing. But you lose a principal secretary, four MPs in the span of, you know, for seven to ten days. That's uh, that's pretty much uh, what I would consider a lightning response uh, to a, a growing crisis. And I sense that other liberals are going to have to make the decision sooner or later to either follow and move, you know, uh, get get out of this uh, this show, this gong show, or uh, you know, go down with the ship. But at this stage, I can't see how the federal liberals are going to win the next federal election uh, because I don't think this is going to go down well in Quebec either. Uh, regardless of who's there, I note. Uh, I'm not a big fan of polls years before the, the election or months before the election, but the Black Quebec was within two percent of both the Conservatives and the Indy and the uh, and the uh, uh, and the Liberals who are tied uh, in that province. So, uh, hang you know, hang on to your hats because I think it's going to be a very interesting race. What I'm hoping doesn't happen though is the invective, the the uh, the you know the lashing out, the uh, the dead cat bounce. Uh, you know what you're likely to see from people who are desperately holding on to power. This should never have happened. Many of them believe that they has divine right to a second term. Uh, that's all very much in doubt now. And I think, seriously, Canadians uh, are going to start to take a little, pay a bit more attention to this, not just with economic bad news that's coming, not just with uh, the Norman case, uh, Admiral Vice Admiral Norman case, which follows behind this, but we have uh, a long distance to go before we see this particular problem with SNC and the government's handling of it uh, simply disappear. Well, we see new uh, revelations or different revelations, new revelations on a regular basis that have to do with SNC. The headlines, the stories become uh, more engrossing and more troubling uh, one after the other. Dan, hold on. CBC is reporting that Jody Wilson-Raybould has been confirmed as the candidate um, and Vancouver Sun said she'd made a similar statement Yesterday, I'm just reading off the screen here. She said, "I was confirmed as the Liberal Party of Canada uh, Party of Canada candidate for Vancouver Granville last year. I've been confirmed as the LPC candidate for Vancouver Granville Granville for the federal election 2019." Wilson Raybould told CBC News in an email. What do you make of that? Well, I make uh, that there. Uh, she's too hot to handle. And of course, in other words, that you don't want to be seen as uh, as blocking her. She's a liberal. She's committed. She's done great work as a minister. I don't think anyone would doubt that. Um, there is really no reason why, other than the discharge of her duty and the honor with, by which she has presented herself. Uh, it's really uh, up to the Liberal Party now, I think, to make a decision as to whether or not it wants to tempt uh, throwing someone out because they because she wasn't prepared to, uh, as it were, allegedly try to break the law or break her oath of, uh, of, of, of office. Um, this is a very credible person and not easily someone you can, uh, you can dismiss, despite the sort of hints and subtle jabs here and there. Uh, the reality is that uh, I think you, in my personal opinion, you're seeing the evolution of the next leader of the Liberal Party. Of I was Canada, about to say that. Prime Minister. I was about to say that. And, and, uh, and I think you'll find a much more cautious Gerald Butts now. Well, or maybe not. He's he's yeah. Trudeau's he's Trudeau's ally, so maybe not. Yeah. No, I mean, look, this is a mess of their own making, and there's no trap as dangerous as the one that you set for yourself. Uh, and the reality is that other scandals that I've seen in the past involving conservative or liberals have never developed and erupted in such a short period of time. But you know, it, it speaks to a number of things. When Bob Fife or the Globe and Mail is prepared to put a story out, you darn right they know what they're talking about and they can back it up and. Uh, the fact is that this thing has uh, has done nothing but to diminish in the eyes of everyone uh, the credibility of a prime minister who campaigned on a very specific set of ideals and, and notions, and all of those are now very much compromised. Uh, to me, this is a decision where the PM, I think, is going to have to make it, uh, you know, uh, make it very clear uh, that uh, he uh, he's he's gone wrong here, and that more importantly. Perhaps it's time to yield to someone else if the party is to have a chance, a fighting chance, come October, because it stands now 
I don't see them holding on to government, and I see them moving down rather dramatically to the places we were back in 2006 to 2011, a continuous decline in our support. We we do need uh, you know, a reinvigoration of the party. A lot of people have been left out. That's fine. But when you bring people in on a very specific set of circumstances, you ex- exclude everyone else, I, myself included, but there were many others in the same boat uh, for taking certain positions that they didn't want, they didn't think was relevant, and then you you change your mind on those uh, those principles. Uh, to me, uh, it suggests that the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau has very little on which to campaign other than the fact that they've reneged and uh, they've left the country economically in a very, very awkward position, not to mention from a foreign perspective, uh, so many ways in which you can look at this, we have now become uh, a, a growing concern among democratic nations because at the center of our country is our willingness to potentially be given over to uh, subverting the laws and uh, deterring, uh, detracting uh, from uh, from ensuring that uh, the rule of law is upheld in this country. I have 20 seconds. Is there a parallel between today and any time in the sponsorship scandal? No, that took a long time, and there were no direct uh, relationship between uh, public officials, uh, elected public officials. It turned out that in the end, it was people at the lower level who had responsibility. So it's not. This is very much a PMO problem. This is very much a prime ministerial problem, uh, and the two should not be equated. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, if, if we took the uh, the lashes for the, the, the sponsorship scandal, uh, then you can imagine when there's a direct relationship to the Prime Minister's office and the actors around him, and perhaps even the Prime Minister himself, mm-hmm. why this is so lethal. Okay, Dan, thank you for the time. And you say we're going to hear from more Liberal MPs who will thank announce you. they're not running in October. Thanks, Roy. Thank you very much. Dan McTague, 18 years, Liberal Member of Parliament. Uh, Logan Boulay of Lethbridge, Alberta, was a player for the Humboldt Broncos, and he lost his life because of the truck team bus crash on the 7th of April of last year, Logan's family made the decision to donate their son, brother's organs, and six people across this country had their lives saved or improved as recipients of Logan Boulay's organs. And the family has declared April the 7th, 2019, and that date in years going forward, to be known as Green Shirt Day, a day dedicated to promoting organ donation awareness while honoring the Logan Boulay effect. And that effect was almost 100,000 Canadians signed their organ donor cards in the provinces with online registration in the days after the decision was made by the Boulay family. Difficult decision and one that I know is so appreciated by people who are in tremendous need. Toby Boulay is Logan's father. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Hi, Toby. Hello, Roy. So you had a decision to make concerning donating your son's organs and you as a family had to make that decision quickly after he passed. And such a generous decision. And again, clearly the decision you made had an impact on Canadians nationally. Can you talk to us about that, please? Your motivation for doing what you're doing and, 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 and what you want Canadians to, to, to take away from, from, from the decision you made. Um, you'd be a good social studies teacher. You asked about a five-pronged question there. <laughs> and um, condolences on the loss of your son. You know that. I'm, I'm, I, I know you know. I know that. I just Sometimes humor makes things go easier. Um, uh, absolutely. In the summer of 2017, um, in June 27th, Logan's uh, mentor, coach, and fitness mentor, Rick Suggett, passed away, and Rick was 58, and his family donated his organs to save for organ donation. And that was on um, June 27th. And then in August, before Logan was returning back to Humboldt, we always sat in the deck and we'd have hot tubs in the deck and just do the father and son visits. And he told me that he was going to donate his organs in honor of Rick. And I said my exact words, because I remember I've said this so many times, is that, that's nice, you'll be 80 years old, nobody will want your organs. And we laughed, and he, then he persisted and said, no, I'm going to donate, donate my organs. And so then, fast forward. And that's what we, and I knew, but I didn't tell my wife this. So I just, okay, fine. And we got stuff to do, and we moved on. And uh, fast forward to the week of the, the week of Logan's birthday, his 21st birthday. He was going somewhere with a friend of his in Humboldt. And the guy said, hey, what are you doing for your birthday, Logan? And Logan said, I'm going to sign my donor card. And he said, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to sign my donor card. Okay, fine. That's that. But we didn't know that. And then, of course, the crash happened April 6th, and we finally get to Prince Albert where we get Saskatoon to the Royal University Hospital, and we get put in that little room where everybody has to go. You see it on TV, and there's five or six doctors there, and they explain exactly what Logan had a, was going to be paralyzed from the waist down, but that wasn't the major problem. He had a 
he had a, a massive brain bleed at the base of his cerebellum, and he was going to pass away, and it was irreparable. And my wife just turned to them and said, can we donate Logan's organs? And they just looked at her and said, like that look of, what do you mean? And she said, well, he won't need them anymore. And I said, well, in fact, Logan asked to be a, told me he wanted to be an organ donor. And they said, we're in business, and away we went. And then about two hours later, three hours later, somewhere around there, this family that Logan had been visiting with, the young man, they were at the hospital with us, and we were waiting, and their eyes filling out forms. And she was asking questions to the nurse about what Bernie, my wife, had said. And all of a sudden, I, she said, well, did he sign his donor card? Was yours? I said, I don't know that. And then all of a sudden, the young man goes, oh, no, he signed his donor card. And we all looked, what are you talking about? And he goes, he signed his donor card on his birthday. He what? And then he told his side of the story. And that's where we are today. What an incredibly thoughtful thing to do for a, for a young man. Uh, and that was important, in, so important to him to do it on his birthday. Toby, can I read you an email that I just got? Okay, thank you. Hi, Roy. I have just finished going through a lung transplant assessment for myself last week. Now we'll be waiting to see if I go on the list. Looking forward to your next guest. That would be you. My sister has had two lung transplants, both single, over the last 11 years. I also take plasma-based infusion every week for the last 16 years and thank all the people who donate both organs and plasma. Thank you and cheers, Daryl. That just arrived. It, I coached hockey years ago. My first year I coached hockey like 30 years ago with the, a man and his wife was on dialysis. And I didn't even know what dialysis was. I was like 22 years old. What's dialysis? So he explained to me and said, oh, that's horrible. And then they'd have to take her to, I grew up in Oles, 50, 50 miles from Calgary. And they'd have to take her to dialysis twice a week. Then finally, she got a dialysis machine in at the O's hospital. And it went on for years. And then didn't really, you know, I don't never really met anyone who had donated organs until Rick Suggett had donated his organs, and my friend Rick. And so it means a lot, and it means a lot that this person sent the email in. And we have people talk to us daily, and I say daily, and sometimes it's four times a day, sometimes it's nobody. But it's every day someone tells us that they signed up to be an organ donor because of what Logan did or they tell us a story about them either receiving an organ or their family member or something along that line. So the impact that Logan has made is tremendous. And we're just trying to do, we're just trying to hold ourselves together, Roy. And part of that is that we, we, are, we, we, let, we believe in service, our family. And if this, was, this is what Logan wanted to do, then we're going to do it too. You know, you're such an impressive family, and I, I'm not just saying that. There's no cliches involved here. You are such an impressive family because of what the decision you made the direct impact you've had on six people and the national impact you're still having on people in this country. Many folks ask themselves, should I do this? Shouldn't I do that? Yeah, I'll get around to it one day. I'll, you know, I'll get it done. But your generosity, your family's generosity in the name and memory of your son has caused people, cre created the dynamic within people to sign the card. We've, we've uh, There's a gentleman in... PEI, can't remember his name, he wrote an article, he works for Humber, Humber College as a writing instructor, and he wrote an article that was online, it was like awesome, and it talked about, he called it kitchen, kitchen banter, so I, we took the term kitchen table talk, because I don't, we don't banter number, I didn't ever really use the word banter, it's a great word, but I don't really use it, so it's a, it's a fact of it, like Logan, we sat on the deck and he said, you know what dad, and I, and I made fun of it, because that's what dads do, they don't, didn't know what to say. But that's what he did, and it's, we need more Canadians to have that kitchen table talk, sit at the kitchen table, and the article, this man's article was that he brought his two daughters in, and lo and behold, one daughter was 24, and she said, well, Dad, I'm already done. I've signed it like months ago. Oh, the other girl, they had a conversation, and she said, yeah, went, she did the online registration, PEI, and came back, I'm all done. Wow. The fact that Logan's passing created this family, yeah. this father, to say, we, we should have a talk about this. And it's, we need people to have the talk and because Logan told me, but my wife didn't even know, but when, when that situation of crisis, as my wife said, we had a press conference on Friday, in that crisis situation when you don't know what to do, then you just say, well, that's what we need to do. And it just continues to move forward. It continues to save lives. It continues to improve lives. Uh, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's just such an incredible gift, and it creates it, it really creates um, longevity. It creates life. I want to. I can. Can I just put a friend of mine on the phone with you? Sure can. Okay. Put Linda on, please. 
Hello, um, Linda. Here, this Toby, this is my friend Linda Leatherdale. Linda is uh, a member of a group that we have on the air called Beauties and the Beast. Um, you can figure out who I am. I'm and, guessing you're the beast. I guess. <laughs> and and Linda has, uh, she's the former money editor of the Toronto Star, Sun. She's a, she's a wonderful lady. And she has a story to tell about her daughter and about the, the, the gift of life that, literally the gift of life that her daughter received. Linda, this is Toby Boulay. I talked to you about Toby earlier today. The family has donated the, the organs of their son, who is a humble Bronco player. And April the 7th is going to be Green Shirt Day to motivate Canadians to get involved and get engaged and sign their donor cards and, and extend life. I, I just wanted, I hope you don't mind, I thought I'd, I'd ask the trivia to talk to each other. Or Linda, just talk to Toby for a minute, oh, please. Toby, first of all, my heart goes out to you. i got to tell you, I've been following the, 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 the interview, and uh, wow, what you are doing um, is an amazing, great thing. What I want to, you know, what Roy was talking about is my daughter would not be alive today if it wasn't for the generosity of people who are donors, and uh, she's a cancer survivor three times, Toby. Uh, when she was nine, Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, relapsed, um, had a stem cell transplant, but then later when she was going to college, she relapsed and it was leukemia, and the only way to save her life was a, a, a bone marrow transplant. And uh, one match luckily found two 10 out of 10 matches. My son was a 9 out of 10 match, but, of course, he went with a 10 out of 10. Well, in a short story, I'll tell you, her boyfriend got down and bended knee at Princess Margaret Hospital, proposed. Um, we, I read out the letters on the Roy Green Show, thank you, Roy, from the donor, and the donor contacted Roy, and she drove with her husband from West Virginia to be at my daughter's wedding. And... Um, we just celebrated five years clean, and again, Gail Seedler is her name, another wonderful, wonderful human, drove again with her husband back to Canada to celebrate our five-year anniversary. So uh, what you are doing will save lives out there, i got to tell you, and it just brings tears to my eyes. Thank you for what you are doing. Well, thank you very much, and it's... it's, it's Thank you. It's overwhelming, and I appreciate your story, and I understand, and I hear your story, and I and I want to acknowledge that I have heard your story. Oh, okay. And it's, and it's, and it's beautiful, and and I want you to know that we understand. That we we understand, and we understand. And I'm I'm very happy to hear that your daughter is doing very well, and I'm very and even happier to hear that it was not an angel transplant; it was a living donor. Yes. Logan, as you know, was an angel transplant, and I so know. we're we're still working with that. We're still wrapping our head around that that that. Our son passed to make six people live better lives. It's hard, but we were hoping that someday the medical field can, with research, can create the the, the point where there's no need for me, for angel donors. But that's not in, in the books for quite a while. Oh, I know, I know, but everyone's trying. And I just want you to know, this guy did sign her donor card. Um, you know, and uh, and I just want to say my heart goes out to your family, like. Uh, you have so many well-wishers around the world, let me tell you. I, I, I really, I just, Roy said this, and then you've kind of said the same thing. It's like, our family, well, we just did what had to be done. It's the right, we we did the right thing. It's what has to be. We did the right thing. You just have to do the right thing. Yeah. And we just think people need to continue to do the right thing. And I noticed that you've said, my fa our family, well, it's Logan donated his organs. We just agreed. But in Canada, yeah. many, many families don't know this, that the law is, is that, Logan can't donate his organs until we say so. We didn't know that, of course, until we're right there. We didn't know that. We just thought, well, Logan told me, and Bernie offered his Logan's organs, and I said, yeah, we're going to go. And they said, well, that was critically important. And we've since found out that the fact that people have to have the talk to understand that they can do that for their child or for themselves or for their spouse so they can say yes. And that's that's the most important part. There may be donors, but they, the families have to be prepared in that very difficult time to say yes. Yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing thing, and you're also educating the public out there, so that is good news. So April the 7th, thank you, Linda, for coming on. Don't go away, Linda. Okay. Yep. Um, Toby, April the 7th is Green Shirt Day, and uh, that, again, is to motivate uh, Canadians to get Canadians going on signing their donor cards yeah. because it really saves lives. 
Yes, we I, I we didn't. It's not okay. It's not the Boulets are organizing Green Shirt Day. The Canadian Transplant Association came to us in August. We think it's August. Right. Can't remember. So much happened, right. and they asked us, "Can we use Logan's name?" And we said, "Okay, we have to talk to some people." So we talked to some people, and we talked to a lawyer, and we made some agreement. The agreement was that anything you do with our, our son's name is we have to approve, and they also have to have the humble Broncos have to be in that mix at all times, and they agreed to those basic conditions and. It's been amazing. The Canadian Transplant Association, along with their, because they're all volunteers, their volunteer base has done a, a mountain of work to make this happen, and they've done everything they promised they would do. And every time they need to move a comma in a poster, they send it to us. We're going to move this comma. Is that okay? And we're like, okay. And so, and we put the humble Broncos because Logan was a team first player, and it was a team crash. And very, the tragedy is that we all know is massive, but it's a team, and we believe in team, and Logan was team, so. Logan and on the and on the actual T-shirt, the jersey that's on the T-shirt, it has Humble Strong above Logan's name, and that's on purpose because we want everyone to recognize that the Broncos were there and Logan was part of that team. And we know in our hearts that all of the Broncos would have, and that includes Dana Bronze and includes the, the bus driver Glenn and everybody. And when I say Broncos, that includes everyone. They all would have been organ donors, but they couldn't. Only Dana could be, and she was actually preparing her organs. Her family was preparing her organs to donate. And then she passed very, very quickly. She had a lot of medicines in her body at that time to keep her going, and that just was did not allow certain things to be donated, certain organs. And so, and then she shut down very quickly. So they were unable to also donate. So the 16 lives that passed, only Logan could donate. And it's but we want people to know that we we firmly believe that all would have donated, all families would have stepped yeah. up. Um, Toby, we uh, we still in this country share in the tremendous grief and and loss as much as we can there's a national connection with with your families and and with everyone who was involved with the humble broncos uh and and i you and i had an opportunity to speak for a little while a few days ago and it's an honor to speak with you and um thank you on behalf of all of us for the decision you made and our heartfelt condolences to you and your family Thank you very much, Roy. And nice speaking with you also, Linda. I think you're going to appreciate that. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank take, you. take care. Thank you, Toby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 